0: Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Jen, have you seen Ishtar?
1: Yeah, I just watched it with you. It's really not that bad.
0: It's unremarkable, but it isn't just like a complete shit show.
1: I think I liked it more than Tim. I'm maybe giving it a little too much of a pass because it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a shaggy dog thing. Um, there was a great article in Vanity Fair, uh, maybe about four or five years back. It was written by Peter Biskin, who wrote. Easy Riders, Raging Bulls.
0: A great insight into the production.
1: Um, his book about Warren Beatty was ex- excerpted in Vanity Fair, and it was basically an article all about the making of Ishtar, that notorious disaster. Yes. Ishtar, which completely brought to halt Elaine May's career as a director. I don't know that it damaged Beatty and Hoffman so much
0: I think they bounced back from it
1: yeah they were big stars before and they were big stars after but it was certainly an embarrassment yeah um, the name Ishtar is kind of synonymous with Hollywood failure
0: yeah it's like a pending gate to a scandal exactly like Ishtar is the sort of knee blue ultra for oh this that crappy overblown movie because you can't say Cleopatra but you'll be like they made a Cleopatra movie
1: yeah that's true
0: so yeah when you think of Overblown, misfired, just awful movies, you think Ishtar.
1: If you can't think of the name of Heaven's Gate, you think Ishtar.
0: (laughs) Jen and I took the time to watch Ishtar and see if it lived up to its reputation or lived down to it.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, is that, you know, I have always been fascinated by shitty garbage movies. Um, In some ways, I find them more entertaining to watch than good movies.
0: (laughs) You should do a podcast about that.
1: (laughs) Because I don't know if it's all the years that I spent watching Mystery Science Theater, but there's something so interesting about picking apart...
0: Just what went wrong. A
1: disaster. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: Because it's easy... It's... Yeah, it's tougher when everything goes right because you get swept up in it. You're like, oh, everything, like, this... Oh, and then, like, the newspaper rolls by and it's like, this is a Western gunfight against, like, Neo and Agent Smith. You're like, oh, that's so cool, but it's like, you don't see, like, all the things that went right. It's only when something doesn't work that you're like, if you just cut that part out.
1: It's true, because there's something ineffable about a masterpiece that you almost can't touch.
0: Yeah, it's like, I make this look easy.
1: Yeah, there's... It almost... Especially if you're frustrated creatives like ourselves.
0: Oh god, I'm one of these days. I'm gonna write another comic (laughs)
1: Um, It engenders this kind of hopelessness because it's like how will I ever make something that even approaches that and then there's something Which is more earthly and reassuring about a disaster. So to that end I've watched and picked apart a lot of crap and I know crap when I see crap yeah. Um there's that kind of feeling that comes over you in the first few minutes when you know that a movie is just not coming together. With a lot of flops there's a kind of quaint charm that goes with them. Yeah. Um you know, certain films that were widely reviled like the one that you mentioned Hudson Hawk mm-hmm. or movies like Xanadu which are supposed to be complete disasters and they're just you watch them now and it's just kind of cute and you can kind of appreciate them for what they are yeah um,
0: I guess AV Club would call them a uh, secret success
1: <laughs> yeah what we watched tonight was not um, financially it was a fiasco yes but I don't think it was that artistically um, the point I was making is that I didn't get that embarrassed feeling yeah watching it that I get from a true disaster okay you know, like, um there was a moment when I was watching the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland. It was the point where Johnny Depp went into that little Mad Hatter dance that he does, that Alice does again at the end of the movie. And watching it, I just felt so embarrassed for everyone. And it was such an unpleasant feeling. You know, it, it's like... Watching someone like do a pratfall and try to be really funny, but just like fail and you just know that everyone's looking at them And judging them and you feel like so bad for them and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, it's awful It's like clammy sweat like crawling down your back. It's a terrible feeling flop sweat I did not get the feeling of flop sweat from this movie. Uh, I was actually laughing a lot
0: More than me. Um, Yeah, it might have been more to your taste than mine but that speaks more to a matter of taste than of overall quality if there are people who who do enjoy this kind of movie, who who are that audience?
1: Well, we departed somewhat on the structure.
0: Well, let's start at the beginning. And I think that the beginning is that we're working with these two characters and I don't I don't like the comedy of it. Um, I think that might just be That's a matter kind of preference. kind of
1: liability with a comedy.
0: Yeah. The Maybe kind that was of the comedy. problem
1: that this film ran into.
0: That a lot of people didn't think it was funny. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs>
1: it's I, I can't say that it's not particular. It's it's a lot of broad comedy.
0: There are moments,
1: um, but the way that it's structured, it's a third setting up the characters and two thirds
0: plot. It is a it is really plot heavy, and I don't know if this is this feels like a thing that was done in the eighties where it wasn't enough to have just sort of like a small story or have it just be you know what it is where it's like oh here's a funny movie about um, you know these two sort of down on their luck entertainers because we haven't even established that that's what Ishtar is about
1: yeah we should probably mention that um centrally it's about Two guys determined to succeed against all reason and facts. Okay, well... You mentioned that they're entertainers. Yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. The really important thing is that these guys are terrible at their chosen careers. Right. They're determined to be songwriters, and they don't seem to have any inkling of the fact that they suck at what they want to do. And the whole... First act of the movie is basically their mute, meet cute story. It's mm-hmm. uh, what nowadays they rather caressly call a bromance. You know, because you can't have guys being friends. It's got to be like,
0: be like, know, oh, it's, it's got to be, be like,
1: kind of manly and no homo, bro. <laughs> you know. But anyway, it's about this friendship between these two guys, one of whom is a little bit of a dumb clod, the Beatty character. He's playing against type. Yeah, and uh, Lothario again playing against type by hoffman and the way that they're brought together by their completely idiotic dream of being as big as simon and garfunkel and i think that was what was most important to elaine may in telling the story was that she really um the movie is a takeoff of the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Road 2 movies, which I haven't seen because I'm not 90 years old.
0: <laughs> which may be a disadvantage for us, in that if we saw those, we might watch Ishtar and be like, oh, this is a totally faithful adaptation.
1: Maybe, I don't know, I mean...
0: that's a, That's just going to have to remain a question mark, because again... You know
1: what, though? I've seen... I've seen those movies parodied on Family Guy with Brian and Stewie.
0: That is about my and, only point of reference for it, too. Yeah,
1: and back then, Hollywood painted in broad strokes. I don't think we're missing any subtleties okay. of the form by not having <laughs> seen these Bing Crosby uh, Bob Hope road pictures. Again, I'm not a 90 year old Republican living in Palm Springs, so I haven't watched these movies. Mm. You know what? That's okay. <laughs>
0: Was it? Was it spies like us? Where there's a, just a shot where like they're in a tent or something, and Bob Hope just like like a golf ball comes through, and Bob Hope's like, "Hey, mind if I play through?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't remember that.
0: Well, it's it's it would be in that kind of movie, so.
1: But yeah, um. Uh,
0: this because that's what I think they would call putting a lampshade on it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But um, this but, is... A- no, go ahead. Well, this is where Tim and I departed on the movie. I think I enjoyed the first act a little more I than think, you did.
0: I think that we are... Well, I have a, a point against that, but continue.
1: Um, Because I did... F- the, the movie seems to be getting where it's going in a hurry. Um, You get that these guys are total clowns. Mm-hmm. They're friends. They really want to book a gig. They have this... Sketchy agent who's like, yeah, I can get I can get you a few nights in Honduras or Morocco. Yeah, and they're like, oh wow, like we're we're getting right right on with it, but then the movie detours where Beatty starts reminiscing to himself in a bar, and I ask myself, whoa, why are we flashing back? Why do we need to flash There's back? A- These guys have already met; they should be on the plane to Morocco right now. And then they get into their meeting story, and I admit. I don't know if it was the performances of these two that won me over. Like, I actually found their shitty songs like really funny. Again, Tim's not a musical comedy guy. So.
0: No. Yeah, but there are <laughs> funny moments in that where there's just like like Warren Beatty is coming up with just like these like trite, insipid lyrics, and then Destin Hoffman turns to him and is like, "Man, you are on fire tonight." He's <laughs> like,
1: "When you're on, you're on." Yeah, and like
0: those are those are great little moments for it. The problem that I that I have is that um like if you go to see ishtar and, and i had this thought like you know 20 30 minutes into the movie where they're still doing their meat cute stuff and they're doing their desperation in new york and it's like i saw like two guys in a desert with a camel on the movie poster what are we still doing here
1: yeah and i i kind of take your point um i feel that that might have worked against the film
0: um because the other thing, too, is that if you like these characters, let's set them on their journey and have them riff in this context. You don't need to have this whole beginning third act to establish these characters. We're going to get to know them as they go on their way.
1: That's true. But, again, like I was, I was charmed by their meat cute
0: all right. Well, I'm not saying it isn't charming. I'm saying that, and this is back to the um, what the Vanity Fair article, where because part of the the, the sort of fiasco <clears> behind this is that the three principals had <throat> had final cut on it.
1: Three people,
0: which is had which final means cut. which means none of them had final cut exactly. And the problem with that is that they had to go through each scene and be like, okay. Warren, are you okay with this scene? Elaine, are you okay with this scene? Dustin, are you okay with this scene? And what they ended up with, and this is, again, the the point made in the article, I'm not this smart. The point that the result of that is that you have a bunch of good scenes, but you don't have a good movie. And that's what happens when there are scenes like, you know, there's uh, Dustin Hoffman out on the ledge, and there's the scene of like them at the, the piano and their two girlfriends leaving. And there are good moments in there, but there's a problem is that there's too much other stuff, and that dilutes what would have been powerful, essential scenes to get to the core of these characters. And then you set them on their way. There's too much meandering. There's too much starting before they start.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on whether or not you're on board with the meandering or not. I found myself drawn into it. Um, I can
0: be with them on board when they're on their way.
1: Well, I enjoyed... That's true. I enjoyed some of the revelations that we got about the characters, you know, like learning about their relationship with their girlfriends, and then the moment of insecurity for Dustin Hoffman's character, you know, where um, he ends up out on that ledge and Warren Beatty has to talk him down.
0: By way of counterpoint, I would, I would offer the movie Stripes. Stripes establishes in, like, maybe the first 10, 15 minutes... The Stripes is the um Harold Ramis, Bill Murray movie about two schlubs who join the army. And in the beginning, in like maybe the first three scenes or so, it's it's that moment when, um, you know, like you get a parking ticket that you can't afford to pay, like your pizza for dinner, you drop on the street when someone tries to mug you. It's betting your friend five dollars whether or not he can do ten push ups. That I think concisely establishes where these two characters are in their lives, and then they go join the army. And then you get to be with them while they're on their journey. And I think that, um, unlike Stripes, which is, you know, kind of a middling uh comedy, like, you know, it's not quite a Ghostbusters, it's not quite a Caddyshack. It's just kind of, you know, it's it's a, a minor hit I would say. Um but it's a funny movie, to me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's funny to a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people love that movie. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. So, and I think that maybe um, Ishtar could have benefited from some more comedic editing in that we could have gotten the characters on their way faster. And I think that it would have been more enjoyable.
1: Well, that's a, it's an interesting question. And it really like highlights the difference between a filmmaker like Elaine May and a filmmaker like Harold Ramis. Yeah. Because I think um, he's a little more economical with the storytelling. I mean, you look at a movie like Ghostbusters, and that movie is just perfectly structured. Yeah. Which I assume he... Rescued from whatever Ackroyd wrote, because apparently the original script was 300 pages long, and they were going to different dimensions and shit.
0: And I'm sure it was all deadly serious too.
1: You know? Do you know how much money I would give to read a copy of that? <laughs> oh my god!
0: That's the problem: is that you can't buy um, you can't buy Ackroyd with money. You have to give him like crystal skull vodka or pieces of alien wreckage, <laughs> past life regression. Then then I'll let you read your script. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I you make a good point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The movie is indulgent in its character development and very stop and start. Well, and I think it's plotting.
0: I think the point that you made is that it's kind of a shaggy dog.
1: Yeah, I maybe I just really want to defend it because it's just been shit on so relentlessly over the years. And it's on, only now that it's starting. To kind of find a little more of an audience.
0: Well, I'm not here to just shit on it. I think I'm here to give it valid criticism. Yeah, and
1: your criticism is perfectly valid. Well,
0: that's what we need: is more criticism rather than going, "Wow, that that fiasco is a real Ishtar of a movie." It's like, well, you aren't really helping anything by talking about things that you don't know anything about.
1: Yeah, again, which is kind of why we wanted to give the movie a fair hearing. Yeah. Um, I actually took the time to watch another 25% of Elaine May's filmography because she's only made four (laughs) films Um, again I watched The Heartbreak Kid before I watched Ishtar and that is a very very funny movie of a kind that they don't really make anymore kind of um, quiet little 70s comedy very character driven Um, I didn't get around to watching Mikey and Nikki because it's really long and I didn't feel like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even with all that big podcast money that's rolling in, you couldn't do the work. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you can get a copy of a new leaf anywhere. It's, it's immaterial.
0: Did I make my point about um, having to inject uh, complex plots into otherwise light comedic fare in the 80s? Because I feel like that was a thing where it's like we need it you know like your shaggy dog comment like it's we need it to be not just a comedy but we need it, an action comedy we need intrigue and we need a complex plot and it's like no you don't
1: I think it was that and um I think they were also kind of trying they were also trying to do to use the road to formula to do a satire of you know, the one of the goals of the movie was to do a satire of foreign policy in the age of Reagan, which is fine. It's just that the movie tends to grind to a halt when they get into the exposition. I mean, Charles Groden is very funny, but he has kind of a one note part
0: Yeah as a as CIA. The
1: CIA guy, and you know, the scenes of him and the emir are just talking about what's going on in the country and the freedom fighters and killing two Americans. And it's just, it just brings the movie to a halt.
0: Yeah. It's plot stuff. And that gets back to my earlier point. And I think that where you said, we part, we parted ways about the movie, but it's not that we part ways is that we're talking about two different things. Cause I mean, you must know about how, um, plot is different from story is different from theme plot is the actual events of the story. They meet a girl in an airport, she takes his passport, then they go from Ishtar to Morocco, in Morocco they do the show, after the show they're followed by the spies, then they meet Charles Grodin, then he gets recruited for the CIA, that's the plot. The story is these two guys are going to make it in their careers. The theme is they love what they do even though they aren't good at it, like they're, they're pursuing their dreams and, and against all odds they achieve their goal. And the theme is maybe, you know, being true to that, being true to what your nature is. Um, so while the, the theme is fine and the story is fine, the plot was way more complex than it needed to be. Because it's, again, like when you have scenes between, you know, the CIA agent and the uh, Amir. Um, the it,
1: Amir of Ishtar?
0: Yes. They, like, if these scenes aren't funny, they don't belong in a comedy. That's, like, full stop. That's the issue.
1: That's a good point.
0: So it's that the story, the plot, the the plot was more complex than it needed to be, and that hurt the comedy. Because there are funny things in it. Like, there's that great scene of when there's that... There's that great scene in that comedy where there's a misunderstanding, <laughs> where um, uh, where Warren Beatty is going to to find that girl to like get the suitcase to her to get the map again, like this red herring map. I just I can't get past this this intrigue tale red herring stuff where it's like, oh, this is this is. It's a comedy, but it's also about, you know, we're trying to find this rare diamond, or we're trying to to find heroin, or it's like, these things are not crucial to the story. This isn't what makes me interested in this comedy. The MacGuffin. The MacGuffin. So the map is the MacGuffin, and I found that really distracting. It took me out of it, because map or no, like, they still want to be entertainers, so the map has nothing to do with the story. It has to do with the plot but the plot isn't what I care about. I care about the story.
1: Well, the main characters don't care about the plot either.
0: Then why is it there?
1: They're just... I wonder... I wonder if that... And again, not excusing any sloppiness in the writing by pointing it out, but I wonder if maybe that's the riff they're going for, is, you know, Reagan is just an idiot flailing about in waters that he can't possibly understand. It's like two two American fools, like, standing in for the president at the time.
0: Well, those are two movies, then, because you don't need the whole backstory of them being down-in-their-luck, inept entertainers. You need them to be just a fool abroad.
1: Yeah, you... Um
0: like, you can make a, a movie that is the story has heart and it's about these two characters who are really true to their dreams, and you can make a, a satire about this um, fiasco in the Middle East where two, like, you know, fools get caught up in it, but it's two different things.
1: Well, yeah, the um, the character dynamics are kind of grafted onto the satire. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, the it's you know there are a lot of reasons why the movie doesn't entirely work Mm -hmm. um it's not it's not a leonard part six
0: we should watch that oh god (laughs) um you why would i
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) You, you don't watch it i didn't watch it feeling like a crawling sense of embarrassment i actually got drawn into it in spite of its flaws
0: despite what I said about the plot, there are some moments where things come together. I'm like, oh, that's really neat. But it's only because they come together in a way that I feel is uh, serving the story rather than just being like, okay, well, you need to meet the CIA agent and then they're going to go into the desert and then there's a double cross there and it's important to the emir that they end up, you know, not getting the map to its flown, and It's like, I, I don't care about any of this. It's this about two dumb entertainers.
1: Can you think of a
0: movie with a relatively complex plot
1: maybe an adventure maybe a comedy that worked for you because i'm casting about for one and nothing's coming to mind
0: um that is tricky i mean i think that
1: i one that one that kind of comes to mind is um
0: la confidential
1: <laughs> that movie's hilarious <laughs> this is the thing all right um a movie like what's up doc yeah which has a lot of Wacky Machinations to it mm-hmm. But that's in the screwball vein Like it's supposed to be Crazy Yeah, This movie isn't really screwball
0: Yeah but it's also got that kind of comedy That I don't really like where it's just sort of like Two like sort of Awkward anxious people Yammering about how they don't understand How things work
1: Is, Does it maybe hit a little close to home for you?
0: No, I just don't find it funny. But then again, I'm also not a New Yorker, so... You know what I think is a great example of this? Because I think that it's comedy that doesn't add anything in a larger sense. It's that sort of, like, embarrassment comedy or, like, awkward comedy that I just absolutely do not go for. There's a part where, you know, where he's got that, um... Uh... Jeez. I'm an American. That cloth hat where he's got around and it goes around his face... His turban, and he's got it over his face. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, uh, and then Dustin Hoffman is like, don't put that over your face. It's, it's got cheap fabric. You're going to get cancer and it's staining your skin. And then it's like, is that crucial to the plot or is that just like, oh, honey, no. No, no, it's, that fabric is really cheap. Don't, don't wear that. And it's like,
1: see, I kind of, I kind of like that dynamic where, and it's set up right from the beginning. Yeah. Where, Hoffman's character is essentially bossing Beatty's character around because Beatty's character is just like this huge child like when they walk into the bar and um, Beatty tries to copy him by ordering a bourbon Mm -hmm. and Hoffman's like no don't get a bourbon give him a beer
0: yeah. No, like, I get that because it speaks to the character, but the thing where it's like, oh, no, your face is going to get all messed up, and then then it's just going to look bad. Like,
1: well, I don't was, really care. I... But it was funny later when you look at him and his face is turned blue from the fabric.
0: I, I would have to disagree. Okay. Because <laughs> who cares?
1: You're allowed to think it's not funny, but...
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think it's funny for the reason that, like, it's immaterial, and I hate... Immaterial things being added to the story. So, I guess that's it. Okay. Well, what scenes would you say are good in this movie?
1: Well, I actually liked their bad songs. Because those, they, I feel that if they'd made it these days they would have done an entire song and it would have been really tedious because it would have been like okay we get it they're bad but um
0: I don't know because I mean like adding a more sincerity to it I think is good because it's like they're so unaware of how bad they are
1: yeah which you know like, that they was, think
0: this is really powerful stuff
1: yeah like they're they're really in love with their own material and they can't understand why yeah they're not successful and the movie's very deftly edited where they kind of just cut from song to song to song it's like a couple of lyrics each time just enough to kind of give you a laugh and then they move to the next one
0: yeah which isn't bad that's almost like telling a joke which is yeah would be nice to have
1: like and at the beginning when you know after their agent tells them that they should do covers Mm -hmm. of other people's materials and they they sing that 150s song yeah it's i was just i was dying they were very good
0: dustin hoffman what i thought was really funny in it i think that that is
1: especially in that one racist scene
0: Oh, uh, and yes, and I think in spite of the script and in spite of the directing, I think that he just brought you know just a comedic character to life, and just the way that he was, I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's this a scene of them, and again, like, see that thing with the blue face just was really stupid and took me out of it. But because there's a part where they um where they're wandering in the desert and they come across some gun runners. Which again sounds like something that is such out of an '80s movie. It's like we've got these two bumbling fools who then run into a very dangerous situation.
1: Gee, it's almost like comedy draws its inspiration from political events of the time.
0: No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, no, so I know this... that's
1: not what you're saying, but I'm saying like, well, of course it's gonna—that's gonna be in a movie of the '80s because of all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that was going on at the time.
0: Oh, was there a an affair of? Gun running at the time.
1: Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> to
0: perhaps contras. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Was this in the Middle East?
1: Iran Contra.
0: Never heard of it. <laughs> so they run across these gun runners, and um, you know, Warren Beatty's dressed like you, he's gone native, more or less. So he's, he's dressed like what, like a Bedouin. Yes. So so it doesn't often is like, hey, you go down there and talk to them. Uh, we need to get you know, some water because we're out of water and it's the desert and that's not a place you want to be without any water. Just ask Lawrence of Arabia. True. So so he sends him down there, but you know he's not of any use. And then he's worse. He's just sort of milling in with these other Bedouins who are there to buy guns from these from just like some English guy who's selling who's selling arms. But even though, and this I believe is
1: believe they were of the Berber people.
0: <laughs> no he was English or Australian
1: no. <laughs> finish your story
0: so so he goes down there and this is like i like the way that the scene plays out i don't like little um uh, unimportant details like oh you're gonna get your face um you you're gonna get ink on your face if you put this the, this uh fabric in front of it
1: well i think there was some improv going on and stuff like that probably came out of the improv
0: okay because well,
1: a lot of the material did feel like it came from improv between the two leads. Yeah, there is some And maybe good... some of it worked, and maybe some of it didn't.
0: Okay, well, that didn't work. But uh, the plotted out part that I like is, so they send Warren Beta down, and it's like, get some water from these guys, then they spot Dustin Hoffman, and they're like, oh, you must be the translator to help us um, auction these guns off to these... Berbers. Berbers. So... So meanwhile, Dustin Hoffman doesn't know anything about what he's supposed to be doing. He's just he dying up there. He doesn't know any
1: of the languages. Yeah,
0: he doesn't he doesn't know any of the languages. It he kno- comes
1: out that he doesn't know Arabic.
0: Yeah. He he knows English and a little bit of Spanish, it seems. So so he's trying to so he's just flailing trying to um pretend that he's this translator, and you're like Oh my god, he's totally like gonna die out here. Yeah. Until there's a point where like everyone's walking away because they kind of understand. And then Warren Beatty, who looks like one of the Berbers, like starts waving money at him. He's like, oh, "Okay, this guy gets it." And then all the other guys come back, and it's like that is just such a delightful turn. How how the situation, um, the characters being where they are in the situation made for a comedic surprise, and that's really satisfying. Yes. It isn't just going like, "Hey, you look funny."
1: Yeah, and then um, when the guns come into play later.
0: The guns do come into play, play later. Yes, which is a great... Uh, which are two examples of the the story and the plot fitting together in service of the comedy. If they had more of that, it would have been a better-received movie, and if the head of Universal or whoever produced it was didn't poison the well by being like, oh, this movie that the previous head ran went way over budget, and it's a stupid movie and don't see it, then you know, Ishtar would just be you know, just a forgotten movie like Moon over Parador or something.
1: Yeah, um, do we want to talk about the production at all?
0: This is really Warren Beatty's No Good Deed Goes Unpunished picture.
1: Yeah, this was it was kind of interesting how it got started. Um Beatty was very hot coming off of Reds.
0: Mm, it was Red Hot.
1: Mm, which is another movie I haven't seen because it's three fucking hours long! <laughs> Beatty was hot coming off of Reds, and he credited Elaine May with a great deal of its success. Um, she had some cachet because she'd had some...
0: Yeah, and justifiably so.
1: Yeah, she'd had some critical... Success with The Heartbreak Kid. Um, She did work on Heaven Can Wait, which was a massive hit for Warren Beatty. Um,
0: So Warren wanted to do right by her.
1: Yeah, Reds was a massive gamble that paid off for Warren Beatty. And Beatty really wanted to do Elaine May a favor.
0: I like how you added a favor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Beatty wanted... Beatty wanted to give Elaine May another shot as a director. Um, I don't think... Sh- she hadn't directed anything since Mikey and Nikki back in the mid-70s, I want to say.
0: Yeah, and the problem with that, and I can see how this is kind of a bowling ball present for Elaine May, is that, like, I don't... It, well, ask her herself. Elaine May didn't want to direct another movie. She didn't, right. Or she didn't want to be a director, and it's the sort of thing where Warren Beatty is like, I felt like I achieved... A lot of things by directing these movies, and I want you to have the sort of feeling of success that I did. Why don't you? Why don't I help give you the things that I like? Yes. Which is well intentioned, but you're putting the wrong person in the wrong role, and that is putting Elaine May in in the director role of of this movie.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if I mean she did have the idea that she kind of wanted to do a riff on the Road to Pictures. Yeah. Um but I wonder if it maybe wasn't the wrong type of picture for her because she seems to have excelled with small, intimate, character-driven story stories. And here was a movie that was going to be shot in a foreign country, was going to have helicopters and guns and action. Yeah. But Lauren Beatty had faith in Elaine May, and so... He said,
0: you can do anything you want, even things you don't want to.
1: <laughs> and, you know, Beatty was a big star. Dustin Hoffman was a huge star. Um, Hoffman had done uh, Kramer versus Kramer, mm-hmm. which is a massive success, critically.
0: Also hilarious.
1: Um, And something before that. It doesn't matter.
0: The point is, he did Tootsie.
1: Hoffman was a huge... Yeah, oh, Tootsie, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Tootsie was a massive hit
0: And he was hilarious in that And in this, which is He's a good comedic actor
1: Yeah, so we're talking two actors with clout And Beatty came into it saying Anything Elaine wants
0: Yeah Because he could
1: Uh, I read the Vanity Fair article a couple times I feel like it's a pretty pretty even handed assessment Of the production and you know what went wrong Yeah Um, I feel like Paul Silbert, the production designer Kind of seemed to have an axe to grind Okay. Against Elaine May, because he comes off as really hostile and bitter. You know, basically Mm. implying that, like, oh, my God, she was, like, completely out of her depth, and she didn't know what she was doing, and, you know, there's probably a grain of truth to that. Um, The actions, the action sequences are not, they're not exactly Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) No,
0: they're, they're confused or mundane.
1: Yeah, they're confused, and they're not very dynamically staged. Right um where may really excels is in the intimate character moments
0: which is why this maybe wasn't the right movie for her yeah and that's really what it all comes down to i feel like
1: i wonder if maybe she wasn't relieved that her directing career her directing career came to a halt
0: oh so she's like george lucas maybe (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to direct any more movies what
1: cracked me up the most in the vanity fair article was um when they realized the production was in trouble Yeah um, <laughs> Beatty going to this uh, I forget who he was talking to but he was saying like Oh I you know, I can't fire Elaine I'm a, I'm a progressive on women's issues It would look terrible <laughs> if I fire her and I'm like oh liberals they're cute
0: Yeah and then well Was it the head of the studio <laughs> Is like well then I'll fire her And he's like well if you fire her then I quit Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's, like, <laughs> it's like we're all in this mess Together
0: <laughs> And that's how movies like Ishtar get made
1: Yeah, basically, it was a movie where you had, I think, well, the first problem was too many strong personalities, each with final cut. I don't know how they ended up giving final cut to three different people.
0: How else are you going to get them on board?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I know Hollywood's a crazy place, but that just boggles my mind. The other problem was the poisoning of the well
0: yeah, by from the studio,
1: David Putnam, who okay. is the new studio head. He already had a bit of a grudge.
0: Oh, because Reds beat out *Cherries of Fire* for the Oscar.
1: Didn't *Cherry* *Cherries of Fire* won Best Picture though.
0: Hmm. Best director.
1: Maybe I don't know. Uh,
0: it's two people I'm never going to meet. I don't care. <laughs>
1: well, Reds racked up a bunch of nominations. *Cherries of Fire* won the Best Picture, but Putnam still. Had a grudge against Beatty, and he also believed that Hollywood was too excessive. He was he was an executive who wanted to come in and cut out all the fat.
0: Yeah, the that ah, geez, yeah, and I'm just trying to remember the article, and that was kind of like, well, that maybe isn't the right attitude. It's like, um, oh, is it? It isn't downsizing. It's right sizing. (laughs) Where it's like, you have to understand that there are certain expenses that you can't cut away um, purely for the sake of efficiency. Yeah. And then that's really just speaking more from my line of work where it's like, hey, they're like, hey, we're cutting back. Do more with less. It's like, that's not how that works. We do less with less. Yes. You need to give people more money and resources and space to do things.
1: He may have been... He was too draconian, but he had half a point because the, it became a bit of a runaway production. They were shooting in a foreign country that was very unstable at the time, mirror, kind of mirroring events in the film itself.
0: Yeah. Um, well, he, had a, he took a hands-off approach so he can uh, so he can um, fittingly enough wash his hands of it. He can be like, this is a runaway production. This is what the last guy did. See how I'm not like that. And it fits with his own personal narrative. So he just kind of threw Ishtar under the bus to suit his own needs.
1: Yeah, so...
0: So it worked, because everyone thinks Ishtar's a piece of crap, bloated production.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's his legacy.
0: Yeah, to As studio head. Congratulations. (laughs) You tore down part of your own industry.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um.
0: I know, your face looks better without the nose. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I don't... I don't know that I would exactly recommend it. Um...
0: Well, it's not a matter of rec- recommending it. There are good scenes in it, yeah. but the problem is the plot is overly complicated, and there are really two different movies here.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't call it just an incredible, undiscovered gem. Yeah, but it is a movie which has been unfairly maligned. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's kind of a two and a half star comedy which has been
0: yeah, and that's what it should away as a bomb. Yeah, that's what it should be laid to rest as a two and a half star comedy yeah I think that's a fair assessment yeah so now you know more about Ishtar than you've ever cared to it is on blu-ray though if you'd care to visit it yourself (laughs) care to visit this issue on your own
1: visit this Ishtar yes visit beautiful Ishtar in 1080p